real baseball is locked out. But the projections, ah, the projections stop for no one. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back to Spencer at the one and two. Get the Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Zach had an interesting thought yesterday as I was perusing Twitter. And someone who I follow, who've known for many years, no names, said that they were watching an old All-Star game. I think they said 1992. And they said, I'm watching this because Major League Baseball has prohibited anybody from talking about real players and things that are happening right now. And I thought about it. If this was just a normal offseason, that person wouldn't be watching any baseball content. But because of the lockout, they are now watching an All-Star game from 1992 and tweeting about it. (laughs) So who is the real dummy here? They should do a lockout every winter. <laughs> yeah. It, it leads to something different that you wouldn't normally be watching in an off season. And it's got you consuming baseball on some level. So the secret genius here is major league baseball. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to not side with that mm. final okay. opinion. All right. Whatever. I mean, it's has, Normally, the winter meetings would have happened this past week. There would be plenty to talk about. Baseball would, would get. Would there, though? Well, more than we have now. I, I, I'm just trying to think of. And I have to consider this as I map out like my story schedule week after week. And a lot of times, especially during the offseason, I mean, you, you want to. You don't want to just run if, you, if you've got a story you've been working on for months and you. You don't want to just run it, for instance, the morning after a an eventful Browns game, right? You don't want to run it on the day, I don't know, LeBron comes back for the first time to face the Cavs. Stuff like that. You obviously, you want to try to capitalize on the fan base's attention span and their priorities. And it's tough right now. Because I think baseball is so far on the back burner for everybody. Um, and you've got the Cavs and you've got the Browns, obviously. And those those teams would be soaking up most of the attention anyway. I just think more so with the lockout. It's just so out of sight, out of mind. Um, and it makes it difficult because you, know, you could write some amazing feature about Jose Ramirez. But how many people are reading that? <laughs> yeah. When they know baseball's not going to resume for a couple months, and then we might have to have the conversation about extension versus trade, et cetera. So it's just it's a tough time right now for baseball, I think, except for the one guy who is watching 30-year-old All-Star games. <laughs> hey, a couple of things here. One, we'll be doing our own recap of an old game coming up very soon. Next week is the plan. So... Don't put that down. Don't say that's not something people could should be consuming because I know thousands of people that are interested in baseball content and they're all right here listening to this podcast today. And welcome to the Selbius Godcast. I'm TJ Zupi. That's Zach Meisel. And the other thing that I I had just briefly popped in my brain, you said an eventful Browns game. 
When's the last time there was an uneventful Browns game? Has that ever happened in the history of time? <laughs> Maybe the 45 to 7 loss in New England? <laughs> I mean, but, they, but they beat was, the Lions. No, that, was not, that was not uneventful. That okay, they beat the Lions 13 to 10, and nothing happened in that game. But through nothing happening, that leads to something happening. And this is a thought we can get into in a little bit, which is a, a thought exercise in how you consume what a team is doing in their particular place and expectations. Something we can get to. But today we do want to discuss an actual baseball topic, as I started the show by saying, Real baseball may be on hold, but projections stop for no one. And I'm referencing the Zips projections, which dropped at Fangraphs over the weekend. And how about that? We've got some numbers to dig into and look at where this team is. And this shock of all shock. I hope you're sitting down for this. It turns out, and maybe I should, I should whisper this to you. It turns out Cleveland needs outfielders. No, I, it's that's amazing. Yeah, the Zips projections are interesting. I don't know what your main takeaway was. I hope it wasn't that they need outfield help because I'm pretty sure you've known that. Um, to me, it says this is a team that's not that far away, right? I mean, you look at this. We've we've identified the warts on this roster. You need a second catcher to pair with Austin Hedges because I'm staring at a big. 0.2 war total for Austin Hedges and Sandy Leone. And I believe the front office is smart enough to know that that can't be the tandem on opening day. No matter how close you think Lava Stita might be. Um, I think th- th- their plan is to get another catcher, but we'll see. It's There's not much of a market. There's not any market right now for the next month or two, but... Yeah, I mean, you look at the outfield. I think we can talk about the starting rotation, too. I think some of those projections seem maybe a little or maybe a lot conservative. Um, but that, again, that just tells me, like, I think the rotation will be better than Zips gives it credit for. And I think they will make outfield additions that will help. And then all of a sudden you add up all these numbers on your TI-84 and you're looking at, a team that's going to contend for the playoffs, but obviously things have to go right. They have to avoid some injuries. They need some continued development from young players. And first and foremost, they need to go get those additions, get that help for the outfield and at catcher. Well, we should acknowledge what projections are too. Uh, We say this every year. They're not predictions and they don't take into account when someone makes some major shift in mentality or, uh, something they're doing philosophy-wise at the plate, if they're making an effort to be more disciplined or if they've made a swing change or if someone has added a pitch. These are things that we can take into our, our mind and, and try to do some some mental math to maybe adjust and massage what the projections should look like, at least according to our own opinion. But these are just based on what this guy has done in the past. What you you can expect uh, a guy to do as he either is developing and getting older and entering his prime or maybe perhaps leaving his prime. You look at some past performance in the major league level. For those that have that, you weight certain things a little bit more than others. And of course, more recent performance is going to be weighted a little bit more heavily than what happened three years ago. But all these are rolled together into a projection that spits out a number that is, as you said, going to most often be very conservative. You're not going to see many times a, a, 
any projection system role, any any team in, and it spits out 112 wins. You're just not going to see that. Even for teams that on paper look to be historically good, that's just not how these things work. So as you look through it, typically you're going to see some numbers that you, you won't say, oh, well, that's nothing here looks special. But you have to take into account what the rest of the teams look like too. And so while you know a, a 420 ERA might look kind of in a projection system, you have to realize what that is really signaling. It's signaling that according to the most likely outcome here, he's going to be an okay pitcher. And there's still room for him to be better than that. There's, of course, scenarios that play out where that player is going to be worse than that. But projections most often are going to be conservative. And we even have seen that in the past with what this rotation shapes up to be. There have been times where you look at it and you say, oh, they're going to be better than that. And they have been better than that. But the projections aren't going to look at someone and say the crazy outlier season is what's going to be the most likely outcome here. Yeah, and and I think that let's start with the starting rotation because I think that sort of plays into it. You look and is it safe to say that projections are always going to maybe undervalue Aaron Savali and Cal Quantrill because they aren't really big time strikeout pitchers. They don't have that nasty stuff. That's going to just, you know, they don't have, they don't put up the type of numbers that are going to make you believe it's sustainable. Well, I think the thing is swing and miss can be a little bit more sticky and you can gauge that a little bit better than when a guy doesn't have the crazy swing and miss stuff. And there's going to be some scenarios that play out where a guy gets knocked around and there's going to be some scenarios where he's really good, but there's that huge fluctuation in someone that doesn't or keeps the ball from being put in play. If I have a guy that strikes out a ton of people like Shane Bieber, I can say, yeah, there are going to be fluctuations there where he's not as good or he is much better, but that's a little bit more predictable than someone that doesn't miss as many bats. So Cal Quantrill, Zach Plesak, Aaron Savali, they're not huge strikeout artists here. Outside of maybe in 2020 when Zach Plesak looked like he was ascending maybe to that level. So yeah, to your point, that mm-hmm. that's where that comes from. And so I think it's also looking at the full scope of what Quantrill and McKenzie in particular did in 2021. Whereas we know they made specific changes that altered the trajectory of their seasons. And you would think there would be some carry over there. And that doesn't mean Quantrill is going to post a sub two ERA the rest of his career, but he figured out something that's going to work. And McKenzie figured out something that's going to work. And he had a confidence boost in the second half. And you could see that, that growth for a young, he was still a rookie pitcher. Um, so that's why you want to look at these and understand the context and not, you know, these don't tell you everything. They don't tell you anything close to everything. Um, but I look and I see McKenzie like 1.3 war. I think that would be pretty disappointing. You know, I see Savali 1.2. That seems pretty low to me. Even Quantrill 2.2, I think is a little on the low end of what I'd project. But again, these are the fact that your overall sum here is going to put you, I think it was like in the mid 80s, maybe around like 83 to 85 wins. And that's with the system saying, well, your starting rotation is solid, but very unspectacular. And you don't really have corner outfielders or a catcher or a first baseman. <laughs> that's that's a good foundation. It's a good starting point. Well, it helps when you have Jose Ramirez putting up five and a half wins in the projection. I mean, when, when you're projected to be and this is, again, talking about 
most typically it's going to give you the conservative or most likely outcome here to be at five and a half suggests, you know, he could be anywhere between six, six and a half and a really good season. That's not out of the question for someone like Jose Ramirez. He's going to continue to be spectacular. So when you have him and when you have Shane Bieber, we talked about this in years past when it was Jose Ramirez and, and Francisco Lindor and, and Corey Kluber. When you have those foundational pieces, well, guess what? The rest of the, the roster being average, which is some of what you see here, means that you're probably going to be somewhere around a 500 team. And so in one aspect, it feels weird because this, this team is so incomplete to say, well, as currently constructed, they could go out and win, you know, 80 to 82 games maybe in this scenario. And, and you think, well, that doesn't seem quite right. But didn't that team just accomplish that last year? with a very similar team with a lot of injuries and yeah. guys still not developing. Yeah. And I think there's one big difference between last year's team and this year's. And I think it's, you can never just make assumptions going into a new year based on what happened the previous season. Look at the twins. I mean, and that's one example. There are tons of examples every year of just for some reason, it just doesn't function the same way. But I think one key here is this team was ill-prepared to suffer any injuries, but especially injuries to the starting rotation. We talked about it last week. They had a huge gap in the pitching pipeline for the first time in a while where they didn't have ready starting pitchers to fill in when Bieber, Plesak, Savali went down and when McKenzie struggled. Um, now, that's... Partially, you can attribute that to the lack of a minor league season in 2020. You had guys like JC Mejia going from A ball to making two starts at AAA to the major leagues with a year at the alternate site in between. He just wasn't ready. Sam Hench just wasn't ready. Um, Even Logan Allen didn't seem like it was the right time for him. So things are different this year. And I think there's a little bit more margin for error with the starting rotation because I think. Cody Morris is deserving and ready of an opportunity at some point. You know, Tobias Myers is close. Connor Pilkington and Peyton Battenfield should start the season at AAA, and they could be ready at some point. So you have depth. I mean, obviously they have Eli Morgan still too and and Logan Allen. So you have depth, and you're just a little bit better prepared because no team is – I know people would make the argument, oh, they won 80 and 82, and they lost three-fifths of their rotation, and Yes, it's a valid point, but you also have to understand no team stays healthy the full year. You're not using five starting pitchers the full year. And some of that, like McKenzie needed to go down to AAA for a while. Um, and, and because of the injuries, that gave Quantrill the opportunity to do what he did. So it's not as though if, if Bieber and Plesak and Savali stayed healthy, this team would have won 93 games or something. But... As many other teams are, they are much better prepared to withstand when Plesak has to go on the IL because he has a sore shoulder or Quantrill tweaks a knee going for a ground ball. Stuff stuff like that that always pops up. They're much in a much better position now, um, and I think that can go a long way. And it's not something that you really always see in these projections just because you're so focused on what do the numbers say? Let's add this up. How many wins can this team get? You have to consider the depth. And I think they're just in a much better place with starting pitching depth than they were a year ago. 
I agree. And to your point about Quantrill, I was actually more encouraged by the projections than maybe you are. And I'm not necessarily focusing on the specific number as much as I am. He was so, I don't want to say confusing or confounding, but in looking under the hood, there was a lot of variability there that maybe you didn't know what to put toward 2022. Yeah, Is he as good as he was in the second half? I don't think so. Does that say that he can't be capable of being a number two or number three starter? I don't know. But I think in looking at what the the Zips projection says, I think that's saying that you should believe a lot of what happened in 2021 with him. Not that he's going to be one of the best starters in baseball, but what he did last year, it's good to see some numbers back that up tangibly and suggest that you should believe in him as being one of the top three starters on this staff. You know, we've we've really discussed at length for quite some time now. Well, if you could trade one of these guys away to go get some outfield help, which one would it be? And I've always, here recently at least, leaned more toward Plesak than Quantrill, but I don't know that I could always ha- have a great reason as to why. And I think at least this backs up some of my internal mental thought process here. Anything that stood out to you about the bullpen or position player side? Well, yeah. Um, average is not good enough. I mean, it's it's good to to see some average performance in the projections, especially from some of the prospects, which we can touch on. But it it hammers home the point that it still is a very incomplete roster. And you can say, hey, well, as constructed right now, they would be somewhere around a 500 team. Well, that's great I guess that shouldn't be the goal because your roster is in a position with the youth with the payroll and where you're already starting from you are in a, an excellent position to go go win 87 88 89 90 games and try to compete for that wild card spot this should be the jumping off point not just the well we're happy to be here somewhere around 500 again there's another Cleveland team that's in a similar position We'll we'll get there. Um, yeah, I a couple things stood out to me. Number one, Jose Ramirez is just a marvel. <laughs> like in today's game, for a projection system to say you're going to have nearly as many walks as strikeouts, but you're also going to hit for all this power and steal 25 bases. And I mean, it's just what he can do in that body. And after carrying this offense for years. It's amazing. Um, and I, I think we've talked about this, but this team has put an emphasis in recent years on contact hitters. They believe it's easier to teach power than it is to teach guys what's a ball and what's a strike and how do you pick up on that and how do you balance that with the timing of your swing and the mechanics of your swing and um, some of that stuff that's just God-given ability. And you look and you see certainly guys like Framo Reyes are going to strike out a bunch, but and and Nolan Jones and Bradley Zimmer. But you look through this list, like Ramirez's projected strikeout rate is great. Richie Palacios and Stephen Kwan, who that's kind of been their calling card in the minors. Yeah. Fantastic. Tyler Freeman, even Miles Straw, it's pretty good. Ahmed Rosario, it's pretty good. And you can see. That paired with, look at the stolen base totals. 
from Ramirez. From Jimenez, they project 20. Miles Straw, 31. That even seems a little on the light side. Ahmed Rosario, 17. Richie Palacios, 14. Zimmer, 16. Mercado, 18. Obviously, those guys aren't all going to play enough to reach those totals, but this is a team that's going to make a lot of contact, see a lot of bases. It's an interesting it's an interesting way to play. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the Kansas City Royals from five or six years ago. I think the difference is you do have, with Ramirez and Reyes, some power in the middle of the order. You need more. Go get that corner outfielder who can hit 25, 30 home runs. Do you need help at first base? Do you trust Bobby Bradley? Uh, if you can get an upgrade, there's no reason not to. So, again, foundation is there. Just have to add to it. Well, you, that was the next area I wanted to, or where I wanted to go. First base, you know, Bobby Bradley for the past several years has been a lot of discussion about what he can be. And I'm just not sure with that profile, how, you know, we, we've talked about the need for him to show plate discipline and not just working the zone and walking or uh, drawing some walks, but also learning you know, which pitches to swing at, which pitches to let go. And even that means within the strike zone, knowing which pitches to swing at and which ones not to. And can a guy with that profile, that much swing and miss, can they get better in that area? Can they put more balls in play? You know, I'm skeptical. I'm not mm, saying that it can't happen, hard. but it, how often do you see that happen? And so you look at the projections and it says, you know, he's a below average offensive player, at least in terms of OPS plus. And you know, he's going to strike out a ton. Uh, you can live with the strikeouts when it's someone like Fran Mel Reyes, who is going to, get you close to 40 home runs and he's going to be probably most safely somewhere in the neighborhood of 25% above league average. Okay. You know, strikeouts are going to come, but the rest of the offense is that much better. And the, the walks are there. So yeah, you live with that, but how much can you live with that with Bobby Bradley? And I've said before, I, I think if you did, if you gave him every day at bats, he would find a way to hit 25 to 30 home runs, but would there just be anything else there? And would you want another player in your lineup? that is striking out a ton considering what you just said about what the philosophy of this team seems to be. I'm just not sure he's the best fit. It comes back to what the front office said at the beginning of the off season and basically penciled him in, penciled him in over at first base. And I was, a little, I was a little concerned as to why they were doing that when you headed into the off season, perhaps looking at an area you could upgrade just didn't make sense to hand him that job. Now we don't know where, Josh Naylor is at with his rehab. You know, we don't know how close he will be to being ready to play in spring training or toward the beginning of the season and how missing time, you know, developing skills in the offseason instead focused on just getting healthy, how that's going to impact his offensive profile. But to me, if we're talking about players that should be playing over at first base, I think it has to be Naylor. Long term, I'm thinking he's the first baseman because I've seen more things underneath the the surface that that give me some hope about the the jumps forward he could make he's still someone that hits the ball hard but doesn't have that huge strikeout rate puts the ball in place just seems to be more of what this team is trying to get offensively so i i think long term isn't it Naylor's position to have unless somehow some way Bobby Bradley shows us more than what we've seen so far yeah, I just that's a position that you don't have 
at least in the outfield, you can say, all right, go get one outfielder this offseason, and you like Miles Straw, and you could have Valera in 2023. And that is the eventual solution out there. Now, we have talked about we think they need two upgrades, whether it's two outfielders or an outfielder and a first baseman and a catcher as well. But at least you have someone in the pipeline who is going to get a chance to be the answer for a long time. You don't have that at first base. I don't really know what to make of Nolan Jones moving forward or where he'll wind up or how much the ankle surgery is going to set him back. And Naylor, it's the same thing. And how do you know when to pull the plug on Bradley and switch to Naylor? It's not like you can platoon them like you were with yeah. with Yu Chang. So it's a little tricky there. Um, I'm with you. I think I would believe in Naylor a little more than I believe in Bradley. I think Bradley in like a dream scenario, and I don't think there's enough roster space to do this, but he'd be a guy who plays like once or twice a week, but otherwise his main role is pinch hitter when you need a home run. When you're down three and there's two runners on and it's the ninth inning and your catcher's at bat and Bradley can pinch hit and you got like a one in 20 shot that he hits one out and you've got like a eight and 20 shot that he strikes out. Um, but that, that's obviously that's not, that's not realistic. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a weird position. I think it's just going to be a position where you try different guys out until someone sticks, which has been what the outfield has been for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you do have to find some place for, for Naylor to fit into your semi long-term plans. And it just seems to me the, the place that are, where it makes the most sense is at first base is its natural position. There's already questions health wise. Do you want him moving around a ton in the outfield? Can he move around a ton in the outfield? I just don't know long-term that that's where he's going to fit, especially when maybe you are looking to make some trades and bring in uh, a, more of a veteran presence there. And, you have some other players that maybe could play corner outfield coming up in the next several years. Is the the ceiling here for him being a Chris Carter type? Bobby Bradley? The wide receiver? What? And all he does is strike out and hit home runs. A slightly different variation of Chris Carter. You know, Chris Carter in his career was a 110 WRC plus. I think that's like that's the best you could hope for with Bradley, striking out 33% of the time. A third of his at-bats, he's striking out. But he's also drawing 11.5% walks in his career. If you can get that, you know, that's, you know, his best year was when he was 25% above league average. And that's sort of in that Fran Mel Reyes territory. But how much can you live with? You know, how, how many 30% strikeout guys can you live with in this lineup? When you're doing it with Fran Mill, when, you, when you're putting Bobby Bradley in there, there's certainly no room for a third guy doing that, like Bradley Zimmer. So, you know, you, I'm... I'm interested because I want to give a guy a benefit of the doubt with real legitimate power. You want to exhaust every opportunity to see if he can play. Nothing was better than playing NFL blitz and being the Minnesota Vikings and just throwing the bomb over and over again to Randy Moss and Chris Carter. <laughs> um, yeah, Bobby Bradley, like the first base situation, you could exhibit more patience if, you had a legitimate outfield. If if your first baseman was batting eighth instead of 
I don't know, fifth, sixth. It just seems like they have to make upgrades to as many spots as possible. And until they upgrade the outfield, I think that first base question is is going to be out there as well. Um, it was interesting, I thought. Stephen Kwan, Richie Palacios, George Valera all yeah. projected better than league average. Um, yeah. Especially prudent with, with Kwan and Palacios, who, who will be in big league. Well, all of them will be in big league spring training, but those two should be fighting for some sort of opening day roster spot. Yeah, that was a pleasant surprise seeing Quan and Palacios both. And I'm not saying that either one of them should be handing any sort of opening day at-bats, but they are two players that I think you're going to be counting on at some point this upcoming season, When you say? Those are both players that should be up at some point playing mm-hmm. some sort of role for this team. We talked about it, but I'd rather see them... I think there's a spot for a Zimmer or Mercado. I don't need to see both. And I'd rather see one of Quan or Palacios or both of those guys. Give me the devil. I don't know. <laughs> I for don't some know. reason, that's Either not one the phrase I wanted to, there. It has to be a devil. <laughs> <laughs> if they're above league average, I don't think they, that would, unless you're talking from the pitcher's perspective. Yeah, I thought that was very in- encouraging. Valera, too. I um, mean, that, and Valera's, you know, being a guy that's probably not ready to make that jump yet, but the projections spitting out a 109. OPS plus tells you all of the, the positive things we've been thinking and saying about Valera and, and considering him maybe as, as close to untouchable in the system as there can possibly be all of that's backed up right there. And maybe he's not as far away. Maybe he's, maybe it's not 2023. Maybe it's toward the end of 2022 guys are, we, we are seeing that guys are reaching their peak sooner in their major league career. And who knows what the CBA is going to look like? Who knows what service time is going to look like at the other end of this? Maybe you just don't give a crap about that anymore because baseball has changed. I'm, I'm going to be skeptical that that happens, but maybe Valera is ready to make a jump in 2022. Well, he should have a pretty high floor because he walks a yeah. shit ton. So that'll help his case. But I would it's actually guess... in the scouting report shit ton. I would guess 2023. Um, and then the last thing with this is we've, we've talked about this for a year, but good luck trying to sort out this middle infield. (laughs) (laughs) You're, you're going to have to trade someone, right? Gabriel Arias is projected very similar numbers to Andres Jimenez, but with Ahmed Rosario there, there might only be room for one of those guys. And the fact that Jimenez has been up and Arias hasn't, would lead you to believe that Jimenez would have the better shot at a first crack at regular playing time. Um, yeah, I just don't know how. Like, I think you can keep it concentrated to those three guys for those two spots for this season, and where Owen Miller and Yu Chang fit, yeah. and even Ernie Clements, I have no idea. But it's going to get really complicated in a year when Tyler Freeman is ready. And Brian Rocchio might be ready or close to it. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what this team is going to do, but I think it's just interesting to me. I mean, the projections tell me that Jimenez and Arias should be playing every day. Yeah, Arias is, is definitely ready for the big leagues. No doubt about it to me. And needs to be up 
here or somewhere else. So utilize him either on your roster or by using him to go get something else that you really need, <clears throat> an outfielder. But I think the other thing that this says, and I, I, I wasn't in this position anyhow, but don't give up so quickly on Andres Jimenez. You know, he's projected, as you said, Jimenez and and Straw behind Ramirez have your your second highest projected war total from Zips. And it's saying that Jimenez is going to be somewhere close to league average when it comes to OPS and in the middle infield. And if you're playing good defense, that is valuable. That's where that war comes from. So I, I, the, the thing that makes this difficult is that you might want to trade someone like Jimenez because maybe he doesn't fit as perfectly given what happened in 2021 with Ahmed Rosario kind of getting back to being a, a, a very capable offensive player. But the time to trade Jimenez is not right now because you can't get what you think his ceiling should be in a trade. Coming off of what happened last year, his trade cost is not going to be extremely high from other teams. You know, they're going to be skeptical. They're going to have similar numbers to what you know, we're reading through with their projections, and they'll probably see very positive things within it. But they're not going to pay that price. They're going to say, no, we're, we're not we're not valuing him like we used to, you know, even a year ago when you acquired him in that Francisco Lindor trade. So that's tough because he, he might make sense as a trained candidate. But given what happened last year, it's not the time is not right. And you talked about that last podcast over at Patreon. Timing is everything so much in these trades. Mm-hmm. And the timing is not right to trade for someone trade someone like Jimenez, given what happened in his last season. There is not really a correct answer here because you could say, well, if you can't sign Jose Ramirez to an extension, trade him and you could play Arias at third Jimenez at short and you could play Rosario at second until Freeman and Rokio are ready. Although even saying that out loud, once Rokio is ready, he's got to play in the middle infield. I don't know where, what are you doing? So there's a few things here. Number one, so just trading Ramirez now is not in their best interest. It's not what they want to do. There's all, I mean, they're also trying to get people excited about the season and and sell merchandise, although they didn't really capitalize on that before the lockout. Um, but you are setting back your timeline. You, you're, your starting rotation is ready to win. Let's say about half of your lineup is ready to win. Your bullpen could be ready to win. So you need to make some upgrades now. If you traded Ramirez because you needed to make room for all these young infielders, well, your lineup's not going to be ready to win for at least a couple years. And by that time, you're talking about Bieber being on his last year of team control and Quantrill and Plesak and Savali being low on on time remaining with the organization. And so you're just going to, you're just going to have this constant back and forth, trying to, to balance everyone's timelines to get it all set right to, to compete. It's not going to work that way. So it, that's why it makes so much sense to, to add to the outfield this season and go try to win now. And you can still win later, but I just, I, I, so I think the answer here is trading a young, I mean, it might be Arius. He might be the guy to go because I think a little bit of the shine wore off with him as just because he had a rough handful of months there this season. And you said it, you wouldn't be trading him 
you wouldn't be selling high. You'd be selling low, and you don't want to do that. The other thing you could do is trade Ahmed Rosario and do it this winter and try to sell high on him. Now, you have to think about what would another team be looking for who would want to acquire him. Is it a team that strikes out on all these free agent shortstops and knows Rosario isn't a very good defender at short, but they'll take the offense? Is it a team that wants to plug him in in center field or at second base? Um, is he part of a package to land you a major league outfielder? Could he be a piece that you deal to a team like Oakland or Cincinnati or someone like that, who a team that still like maybe wants to contend, isn't sure, kind of stuck in the middle? You know, there, there are a bunch of ways you can go. And there's not an obvious correct answer here. That That's what makes this so difficult. But what is Arias going to gain by spending another year at AAA? And even if he did Nothing. that, how is he how's he getting called up the year after that? I mean, you're, no. you're always going to have this log jam. And the only way to clear it is to trade a couple guys away. You just have to pick the right guys and you have to do so at the right time. Yeah, I mean, I think you're in a position where that that trio you mentioned, Yu Chang, Ernie Clement, and Owen Miller, have put themselves themselves in a position where you head into the season not thinking to the same level you are with Jimenez, Arias, and Rosario. Those are three guys that you're trying to look for every day at bats with. The other three are you're thinking they fit into our plans somehow, but we're not as desperate to to get them every day at bats you know they'll plug in somewhere they'll get at bats as a backup uh, as a platoon guy maybe that fits with Jimenez initially just because you're trying to get both sides of that platoon at bats and then you know if Owen Miller starts to hit like he did in the minor leagues then he gradually takes more of that role and he forces the issue but at least with those three guys Yu Chang you know, I don't know what to make of his second half particularly down the stretch when he was on fire I, there's probably a lot of reason to believe that there's some regression coming within that. But those are three guys that I can kind of put into a different box, if you will, and think, okay, I, I'm not as concerned with trying to figure out if they're the starter. I think they're a backup that if they, through production, show me that they need more at-bats, that's fine. But put them over here in this box, the more interesting or maybe the more pressing issue is figuring out what I've got in Jimenez, Rosario, and Arias. Are you with me on that? Yeah, I just don't know how you give enough time to all of these people to find out what they can and can't be. That's been, I mean, we've had this conversation. People still want to yell about Yandy Diaz and Gio Urshela and Jesus Aguilar. This is like that on steroids. No, you shouldn't say that. On acid. <laughs> Probably not any better. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, they they need to deal from that uh, surplus of middle infielders, and maybe you do it with the guys that are a little bit further removed from the the big leagues. Because yeah, there's a lot of variance there, but there's also maybe more star ceiling than some of the others have demonstrated, and use that to your advantage when when talking trade. But I mean, God, you've hammered it home for several weeks. We talked about it most recently on Patreon. The roster, the 40-man roster, as it's constructed now, you can't start the season this way. You have to trade from some of your prospect depth to go fix parts of your your big league roster because it's just not going to work otherwise. In the middle infields, where it is, I mean, starting pitching, yes. We talked about 
maybe dealing one of those guys for an outfielder, but that doesn't really fix the logjam that you have in your middle infield. And you've you can do that a year from now. That. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But you got to turn some of that into, into a major league outfielder. You just have to. It's set up too perfectly for that not to happen. Yeah. I, it's fascinating. I mean, these are the conversations they're having on Zoom probably and without mentioning any players on the 40-man roster <laughs> publicly. Or, <laughs> um, no, it's, 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 it's really interesting. I, when you, you know, you, you can, this is a, it can be a nuanced conversation, right? Because if they do something well or they identify something they're comfortable with, and they know, like, they haven't developed outfielders for a long time. And they have done a better job scouting these middle infielders, especially on the international market, and developing them at least to a certain point. I mean, it, we don't know how good uh, Rokio and, and Tana and some of these other guys are going to be, but their stance has been... If you can play shortstop, you can play just about anywhere. And so we'll figure out the positioning <laughs> later. But you when you stockpile, you dodge a ball. Yeah. When you stockpile a certain position, or even with starting pitching, I mean, you stockpile all these starting pitchers because you're going to trade them later on. They've done that. But now they have to do it on the position player side. And can they identify talent and evaluate talent? On the position player side, like they have on the starting pitching side, it remains to be seen. So kudos to them for stockpiling all these guys who seem to have bright futures, but you, know, you better get this part right. This is the this is the critical right. It's like yeah. I used to say it with Sashi Brown. It's like anybody could have torn down the roster and accumulated draft picks and tanked. It's the building back up. It's the selecting the right people that proves if if you're doing your job well enough. Well, it's a perfect segue to switch gears here and touch on something that you texted me yesterday in relation to the the Browns. It's something we've talked in relation just with the the baseball team and where they're at in their buildup and the Cavaliers now showing that they're kind of in this, this sweet spot territory that can be so much fun as a fan to follow. Expectations and how you you evaluate them and and how that changes your your fandom and how you watch a specific team. The Cavaliers are, well, as you've pointed out on Twitter many times, extremely fun. Or you could just read all your tweets right now if you want. I'll just sit back and all your adjectives and all the ways you could describe the Cavaliers. Well, I wasn't anticipating. I thought that was going to be one tweet and that was it. I didn't think this team would develop into a juggernaut overnight, <laughs> but it's been fun to watch. Yeah. It, they're in this this place where they there are no real expectations placed on them so it's it's that fun that everyone is used to describe them because you don't get too caught up in what what does this particular game mean to the long-term big picture of where this team is going to be at trying to chase the championship you don't get caught up in that so it's enjoyable to watch a random day against the Sacramento Kings and see them you know blow them out initially and then they get back in the game and it's still a hard fought game and they emerge with the win and it feels enjoyable because you can still experience those little small victories along the journey and they're, 
they feel meaningful because you haven't experienced this in a while and you weren't necessarily expecting it to happen. Different situation with the Browns, of course, where there were expectations. And let me just say, expectations are a good thing. It means you are expected to be a good team. You're trying to win a championship. It's not a bad thing that you expect more from that particular franchise. It means that you think that they can go win a title. And that if that's not the goal, then what the hell are we doing here? So I've always said to me, a season is about the journey. And I think it's probably the writer in me. But you have to, as a sports fan, I think you have to appreciate the path it takes to get somewhere. I see this more and more on social media. And maybe it's just because social media is an echo chamber. And I do think this becomes more prevalent the longer a team is into its window. But you see that championship or bust mentality. You see the people who look back on the 2016 Indians and say, they didn't win, it doesn't matter. Just forgetting the fact that no one expected them to win going into that playoff run. They were missing three-fifths of the rotation and their best hitter. Um, So I think... I think the point where the Cavs are now is usually the most, aside from actually winning a title, but you never know if that's going to happen. It's This is the most enjoyable time. That upward trend where you've emerged from the basement, from the rebuilding part, and you don't know what your ceiling is. And that's when uncertainty is exciting. And it's fun. And you think about, all right, what? Trades could they make to go get that wing they're missing? Or you know, what missing piece could they add next offseason to really take this team to the next level? And honestly, just watching that team this year, it's more so just they are getting better before our very eyes. And they keep raising your expectations. I mean, the fact that like they're just blowing teams off the court night after night. And at first it was, oh, hey, they're like six and four something and it's you know they've squeaked out a few wins against some crappy teams and golden state came in and they hung with them for three quarters but you know you didn't expect this to be sustainable and now it's they're winning every game by double digits and it's they're beating some decent teams and they're winning on the road and it's 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 that wonder that you can just sit back and enjoy and there's no pressure whereas when lebron was here from 14 to 18 the regular season didn't matter and so you did you get a ton of enjoyment out of that journey you got to the playoffs and that was enjoyable um but it was just it's so different that team didn't have that upward trend of, of you know building from the ground up and i think there's a difference there and it's why it's the same thing with with the baseball team in that 16 i think it's obviously never easy to lose a game seven of the World Series, especially when you go to extra innings and you're at home and you led the series three to one. I think people were a little bit more forgiving of that and appreciative of that team than the next team, the next year, that was the heavy favorite and the juggernaut and should have won the World Series that year and choked away the division series against the Yankees. And I think there was a lot more championship or bust mentality there. So it's just interesting, especially in baseball when it's 162 games, if the regular season doesn't really 
get you excited. If if you have that championship or bust mentality, it's not the most enjoyable sport to follow. And I kind of think the NBA is similar just because 82 games is a long time. Yeah, it's a real regular grind. season lasts forever. So it's so different in the NFL. Part of it is parody because you only play 17 games. So if you have a couple injuries or you just slip up and you go nine and eight and you might miss the playoffs, like that can definitely, that can happen to anybody, you know, in the NBA, I don't care what the, the nets have to go through when they've got Kevin Durant and James Harden. I mean, they're, they're going to the playoffs and they just need to make sure that they're firing on all cylinders in May, not in December. The NFL is so different and every game is such a stepping stone to determining what's going to happen in the full scope of your season that fandom and following an NFL team is just, it's night and day. It's, it's so different. And you don't really have that upward trend and that gradual build like you can have sometimes in the other two leagues. Which leads into, and we, we won't go too deeply into this because we're almost at an hour as it is, but this leads to the thought of how you experience what your team is doing. And we've said on this podcast a billion times, we're not going to tell you how to feel. We can tell you maybe how we feel about a particular thing. We can give you evidence on why we feel that way, or maybe why we're working our way through that, that particular feeling. But you know, you, you experience the, whatever the way that you want to. Um, and, and sometimes we probably need reminded of that, but Hey, that's just part of, of whether it's experiencing things as a fan or experiencing things as a reporter and a writer. Everyone experiences these things differently. But one thing I do enjoy about this show in particular, I hope, and I, I think our audience is, is pretty smart when it comes to this. I'm, I'm so happy, Zach, that we can have grown-up discussions on teams with expectations. <laughs> and, and when I mean grown-up, I mean experience things like an adult. Because when you're a child, you probably experience things sort of binary, whether you're happy or sad. <laughs> and that's it. That's the only way you process this. But as an adult, you realize things are complex and you can say things like, yes, a win is a win. And you can be thrilled that a team that you follow and that you root for stays alive in a particular playoff hunt. At the same time, you can be complex enough to recognize things that happen within the win are not sustainable. Uh, things need to change, need to get better. You can't approach just with the Browns in particular, maybe you think uh, the, the the play calling here can't be the same. The quarterback play can't be the same. We can experience things in a complex way because we are complex creatures. We don't experience things with binary emotions. It's not happy or sad. And that's the only thing you can feel. I don't understand that way of thinking or demanding that others think that same way. I just don't think that's how you experience things. You can mm -hmm. be happy and you can be upset and you can feel all of these things at the same time. That's part of being human. And I, I, I get part of it is you know, when you get maybe someone that's critical of, of the Browns in particular after a win and someone comes at them on Twitter and says, the win's a win and you should just be happy with that. I think that's more just looking for someone to offer positive reassurances and that's not coming from that reporter or writer that you follow and you value their opinion and you would much rather hear everything's fine because then that would just back up that positive feeling that you're looking for. I think a lot of that comes from just looking for someone to offer you a positive reassurance that everything is going to be okay at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that's again, different in every sport, right? Because baseball, we've said it, it's not a sport made for Twitter or sports talk radio, because if you're going to, 
overanalyze one game and pull your hair out about your clothes are blowing it in the ninth inning, then you're not going to survive the season because they have a game again in less than 24 hours and you'll get, you could get a different result. So in football, it's obviously different. You only play 17 times. It's once a week and every game is critical. So the reactions are so different. And I texted you yesterday because I saw someone who I think a media member tweeted something about how the offense just is not clicking and wasn't good enough. And it just bombarded with replies about it's a win. Stop being negative. And I just, it's a little part of why I haven't covered football as much as maybe um, some of my friends would like me to. I just, it's such a toxic environment sometimes because, and, and the media is not blameless here either. And I'm not, it's not, I'm not putting blame on fans or anything. Again, feel how you want to feel. It's just, it's such a different universe where the Lions game is a perfect example. The Browns win 13 to 10 at home. The Lions were a winless team who started a quarterback named Tim Boyle, who had like no business starting in college. If you look at his numbers, let alone in the NFL. And that was ugly. They pulled out the win. And I saw people like criticizing anyone who was going to be critical of, of the team. And it's, it's not, it, you have to think of it in terms of if you're being critical of the Browns after the Ravens win on Sunday, where Lamar Jackson exited in the second quarter and you narrowly edged out a win and a win is a win. I agree with you and things fell the Browns way and they're in a much better spot and trying to claim a playoff um, spot than they were going into this week. But boy, it's, it's about how you have to be better if you are going to have things go the way you want them. Right. That that's the point what people are trying to make when they're being critical. And I just see people so entrenched in their views on Baker Mayfield or Joe Woods or Miles Garrett or Gavin Stefanski. And it's just, it just seems like such a toxic thing. That's why I, ne- I mean, I just, there are always things on my mind that I want to tweet out or that I want to write. And I just, get to a point where I just say, you know what, it's just, it's not worth it when it comes to, to chiming in about that team. Well, um, to, to bring it back to baseball, it, it kind of feels similar to um, imagine your team that is fighting for the playoffs and maybe they are winning games. Maybe it's, it's not always conventional or, or pretty, but they're winning games, but you're thinking, let's say the, the guy that is going to be tasked with starting game one, of whatever playoff series is coming up and he's just got his brains kicked in for the last three or four starts. You you could say, okay, well they've won those games. So everything's fine. Or you could think of this a little bit more critically and think, okay, well they've won the games. I'm glad they're in a position to be making the playoffs or even thinking about who's going to be starting game one of a playoff series. But the guy that is tasked with that has not been very good here recently. How is that any different than what you're, thinking about with where the brands are at now, where the Cavs will probably be within the next year or two, you're st- it all comes down to, I guess, how you want to consume it, right? If you want to consume it, just win or loss and not thinking about, you know, what the projectability of what is happening is, then you're just looking at it like that. You're, it's that binary thing. Happy, sad, waking up, victory Monday, everything's <laughs> great. But if you're thinking like, uh, you know, someone that has to write and cover and come up with content about a team, you, you can't just put that on the headline and 
call it a week, <laughs> you got you to gotta think about what does this mean moving forward? And it, my point about the Cavs is you're in this position where you're not getting too caught up in that. Uh, it, it can get exhausting when you're constantly thinking big picture. Wouldn't you say? I mean, even thinking back to, remember the, what was it, uh, 2018? It was just like, uh, just wait for the Indians to make the playoffs. That season f- felt like a real grind because mm-hmm. instead of getting to enjoy maybe minor victories along the way uh, or a good pitching performance or an, an excellent hitting performance, you're only thinking about what does this mean for what this team is going to do in the playoffs? And that's the only thing that matters. And again, that's a good thing that you're thinking big picture because those are the sorts of things you want to have expectations. It shouldn't always be a shock when your team is good, but at the same time, it can be enjoyable to experience this part of the, the buildup where the Cavaliers are at right now and maybe where the Indians are trying to get this season. Way to bring that full circle. Thank you. I appreciate that. Why don't you tell everyone about our plans for the next week or so? Do you want me to divulge the game we're going to review? Yeah, why not? I mean, if you want to hear it, you're going to have to find us over at Patreon, right? So let this be the uh, the fun uh, little promotion. Well, <laughs> we mentioned it a couple minutes ago, but uh, we want you to dive back into your championship or bust mentality and relive game two of the 2017 American League Division Series with us. There was, we'll revisit the win streak. We'll revisit the Corey Kluber versus Trevor Bauer, who pitches when conundrum. We'll revisit Francisco Lindor, Grand Slam off the foul pole. Does does anybody even remember that it took another run to even get that game to end? <laughs> yeah, extra who hit that home run? Or who pitched in extra innings to lead them to victory? No one even remembers those things. Um, but that was a, an all-time classic. We will review it all five and a half hours of it. I think it was. <laughs> Why do you do this to us? Oh. Um, I mean, so you yeah. only, your suggestion for the other game you wanted to do, I think was longer than this one. <laughs> so what is That's wrong true. with we, you? We need to do that other one though. <laughs> we will. At some, point. At some point. I mean, who knows how long this lockout will go. That's true, but it should be fun. And, uh, you know, we don't need to review Greg Bird's home run or, Line drives off Gio Urshela's shin, or uh, well, I guess we will probably need to talk about Didi Gregorius a little bit. But yeah, yeah. that's true. Well, that'll be coming up next week over at Patreon. So find us patreon.com slash Guidecast. I think we're anticipating doing a, a mailbag episode coming up later this week. And we're going to continue doing this uh, every other week thing with the, the free version of the show here at Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and Spotify. So thank you for being with us for that for subscribing, for all the five-star reviews. We really appreciate it. And the rest of the content comes over at Patreon. So we'll give you a little bit of uh, things to digest in the off-season for those that just want a little bit of coverage and those that want a lot. Come join us over at Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash SelbyIsGodcast. So this will be our last free episode before the holidays. So Merry Christmas to everybody out there and, and happy holidays. Hopefully everyone enjoys it, enjoys the, uh, the time with family or at least gets through it okay. Yeah, grip a Christmas ale. And imagine how, if you leave us a five-star review, you could be holding a beer like that next season, and it could be on me. There it is. Well, for Zach, I'm TJ. Thanks for being with us all year long. We we really are thankful for all of you uh, 
that pressure us every time there's a minor move to put out an emergency show and for of course those of uh, the hundreds of you that have joined us over at patreon and continues to grow over there our community we're so happy to be here and, and to be hanging out with you every single week so for zach i'm tj have a great christmas have a great holiday season and we'll be back soon enough we're out of here bye